Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another SACPA session. Um, I hope you're having a good morning. Um, SACPA acknowledges that this event takes place on the land of the Blackfoot people and Métis nations of Alberta Region 3, and we pay respect to their past, present, and future cultural heritage beliefs and relationships to the land. SACPA would also like to thank our continuing support that we receive from the University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight, and the Lethbridge Herald. Today we have with us um, Nathan Newdorf. Nathan Newdorf was elected as a member of the Legislative Assembly of Alberta for Lethbridge East on April 16th, 2019. That was quite the day. Nathan currently chairs the Standing Committee on Alberta's Economic economic future and also sits on the standing committee of public accounts, family and communities and special standing committee on members services. Additionally, Nathan is the provincial representative to the Council of State Governments Midwest and West. Thank you very much for joining us today, Nathan, and we very much look forward to your talk. Thank you so much, Annalise. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Nathan Newdorf. I'm the MLA for Lethbridge East. And I would like to very specially thank SACPA, uh, Knud, and Annalise for inviting me to this session. Oh. I do appreciate all the work that they do. Yeah, go ahead. So, uh, and, and for the invitation today. So, and thank you to all of you who have joined us today. I appreciate you taking time out of your, your schedules to listen to this, and hopefully I'll be able to provide some information for you and uh, some look forward to some questions and answer time at the end. Uh, Annalise, if you could put up the first slide, please. So today's topic is the post-pandemic recovery and what are the main issues facing Alberta? As you can well imagine, there are many. Uh, the last 13 months has been incredibly challenging for all of us. There are social impacts, there's economic impacts, uh, and there's a polarization of views upon restrictions and how we manage uh, our COVID response. We can't discuss all of these topics uh, and all of these issues today. We just don't have the time. Thankfully, Knud has provided some scope uh, for our discussion today. And with that, uh, at least if you could go to the next slide. So this next slide, uh, just for my benefit, I am just getting a reminder, so I apologize. This is my first time doing this and I want to make sure I'm on the right slide myself. Today's plan is uh, we're going to talk about tabling a budget in a global pandemic, the plan forward, uh, job creation and strategic investment, COVID numbers and vaccines, and then like I said, a, a time for questions at the end. So when we discuss the budget, we will look at a little bit uh, the debt, the deficit, and stabilization and those topics and discuss those a little bit. In the plan forward, I will talk a little bit more about economic recovery and the strategic part of our investment, both provincially and what it means for Lethbridge and area. And finally, I'll have just a very quick uh, snapshot of some of our COVID numbers as recently as I think April 27th, which is what I had the numbers when we prepared the slides and the vaccines and what that means for us here in Lethbridge. If we could go, Annalise, to the next slide, please. So <clears throat> when we're, if, oh, this is the budget. I, I don't have this slide, unfortunately, but I might just pull it up so I can uh, tell people what I'm talking about. On the bottom of this slide, you will see the previous year's budget and the forecast numbers and their forecast numbers because that, that year end has not yet been audited and reported. But you can see where we started the year, hopefully at, with a budget of 57.3 billion, revenue of about 50 billion, leaving a deficit of 7.3 billion, and the, the debt was sitting at about 77. And once we hit uh, the pandemic, we also at that time, if you recall, we had that global fight on the price of oil which really changed the entire market. And then the resulting combination of those two things showed up in a massive economic contraction and the forecast year end numbers, you can just see how the expenses went up in response, Our revenue went down, obviously resulting in a larger deficit in debt. And that was 2020. 
this year, this year's budget is in the, the top portion of your screen. And you can see how we still have that elevated expense projection in our budget, mostly to do with uh, the COVID response. And I'll get into some specifics on that number in a moment. And again, we see that revenue has, has not come up and returned to what is much more normal for Alberta. The past few years, it's been between 48 mil billion and 50 billion. Typically, you can still see the numbers are down, maybe up a little bit from last year as we've seen uh, some positive numbers uh, on our oil prices. I believe the current price for West Texas Intermediate is around 67 or $68 a barrel. But again, this challenge still presents us with a large deficit of 18.2 billion. And we just see that, that debt increasing over the $100 billion mark to $115.8 billion. Next slide, please, Annalise. <coughs> Thank you very much for that. So here we're gonna take a little bit of a deeper dive into some of these numbers. Uh, and I'm actually going to start on the second slide first, if you don't mind. The healthcare spending uh, is a record $23 billion. The reason I want to start with this is in a pandemic and with a response, I think it's appropriate that that is our number one priority. Is everything okay, Annalise? I just see Yeah, some... I don't think I have that slide. It should be I... slide four, healthcare spending record $23 billion. I think you no? and I have a different slideshow. <laughs> okay. My slide four is the budget, and my slide five is tabling a budget in COVID pandemic. Okay, go to your slide five then, please. Okay. Tabling a budget in global yeah. pandemic. Yeah. Sorry, okay. sorry Thank for you. those watchers. We're still learning our technology. Hmm. So again, the second line: healthcare spending a record twenty-three billion. This is up about nine hundred million dollars, or increase of four percent from the previous year. And that doesn't include an additional 1.25 billion specifically for battling the pandemic, uh, whether that's for PPE spending or on vaccines itself. Uh, we've allocated an additional 1.25 billion on top of that $23 billion to adjust for this response and on ongoing challenge of the pandemic. Now we'll just jump back up to that first line, the post-secondary funding. The reason I have this in there is in the total, in the full budget, uh, one of the most challenging areas for us in Lethbridge and one of I, I've had to address a number of times is our, our challenging uh, reduction in spending on our post-secondary institutions. As you all know, Lethbridge has not only a university but a college and these are challenging times for them and challenging times for all of us where some of us uh, would say that we have an overall job to to work on our budget and bring our spending in line. This has been a particularly challenging uh, ministry for me and for the for me as a conservative, as it has a, a major impact in in Lethbridge. And I just wanted to adjust that uh, address that. The U of L, for instance, has uh, seen a reduction this year of 5.7 million dollars. But within the, inside of that, they also saw an increase of maintenance dollars of 2.8 million and an increase of research dollars of 1.8 million. So what they really need, uh, because they have quite a new campus and quite an upgraded campus with not just the uh, destination building, but many of the residences have been upgraded over the past uh, five or six years. So more maintenance dollar may not be where they could utilize those dollars most effectively. So I've been fighting for their ability to have flexibility to adjust that as they transition to the new reality post-pandemic and with the new budgets. They they also, as a quick note, they also received just over $21 million for uh, upgrading their boilers. Uh, may, many of you may know, many of you may not, that they had boilers that were going on 50 years of life uh, span and about 15 years over their uh, dedicated capacity. So we were able to, I was able to advocate for them to get this much needed deferred maintenance dollars uh, to see those things upgraded to get them more efficient and, and save them the, the risk of having a boiler go down in a winter at some point in time. So that's why I really continue to advocate for their flexibility to be able to utilize the dollars that they have in the most pressing areas uh, for their programming and their, their move forward. 
I also fight for their ability to find private and other commercial access to dollars and supports and other opportunities. They've been incredibly um, progressive and forward thinking. I spend a lot of time working with um, Dr. Mike Mann, who's the president of the university and his staff and some of their senior administrators as they work to become to continue to be one of the best universities in Canada and North America and and find a way that utilizes their dollars to the best advantage for for them to provide the services that they want to provide for students and to keep attracting top level students and doing research as well as um, that in, in incredible impact they have on our community. I want to acknowledge the Lethbridge College that they have similar challenges. Their numbers are slightly different and slightly less, but they too face these challenges and Dr. Paula Burns and her staff have been incredible to work with. They, they have just taken, taken the bull by the horns, so to speak, and really worked to, to work with their budgets, work with available dollars and provide incredible and increased programming and utilizing their new building as well to the best advantage for all of those in Southern Alberta. And I really do look to forward to their leadership on research and agricultural funding, which is key in our strategic uh, investment and our strategic response to diversifying our economy here in Alberta. And they are leaders in the province and the country. So next uh, we have on here, the continuing fight against COVID. That again is that $1.25 billion. We will we'll go into a little bit more depth later on with slides on where we're at with active case numbers as well as uh, where we're at with vaccines and what that means for us here uh, in Lethbridge. When I talk about the last bullet point, getting healthcare spending back on track, it's basically uh, what I'm talking about and specifically is the increased funding that we have on Alberta's surgical initiative. One of the by the negative uh, byproducts of this pandemic is there have been many surgeries over the past 13 months months that have been delayed or pushed back. And we have to find a way of addressing this backlog. So we've added $120 million for some of the infrastructure required to address that. But also there will be some of the $1.25 billion will be allocated to address the surgical backlog. So again, there will be a use on some independent facilities, but all funding will remain public. So whether your surgery actually takes place in the hospital or uh, an independent facility, it's still public healthcare paid for by public dollars to address a public need, which is that surgi surgical backlog. One of the other items under that getting a healthcare spending back on track has to do with our continuing care capacity with building new buildings and new facilities and expanding the number of long-term and dementia care beds in some of the, those existing buildings. This continuing care, uh, community care and long-term care portion of that healthcare budget is $3.5 billion to recognize that uh, as our population ages, they're going to need these spaces. And I think we have seen how critical uh, addressing our community and uh, continuing care spaces in in their care in how our service providers uh, have to be very very careful of traveling between multiple facilities addressing that and making sure that they are prioritized in our vaccine rollout is so important so that we can really make sure that uh, we don't have to have any more deaths due to whatever the case may be particularly this pandemic at this time uh, then we absolutely have to at least next slide please and we'll just double check that we're on the same slide is this the plan for job creation strategic investment? Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much. So this, this is uh, this is some of the exciting part uh, for me and and what I was talking about earlier about the strategic investment. One of the things when we looked at uh, restarting the economy, uh, obviously buzzwords for many governments around the country and and for many years has been about diversity. One of the benefits of Lethbridge is that we have not seen the ups and downs because we're not an oil and gas based economy. We're much more a agricultural uh, based economy. So being able to speak to strategic investments that support that kind of growth, things like the highway through twinning between Tabor and Burdett, though it's not within the city limits of Lethbridge, 
you can see how that adds safety and transport to our food processing facilities, uh, of which we have many, whether it's potatoes or sugar beets or uh, canola or um, numbers and numbers of, of products. Uh, we've added dollars to our Lethbridge Airport, not just to the terminal, but to the runway. And this will also increase business access and hopefully we will become uh, a link for further uh, reaching into the markets south of us into the United States. Those two things work really, uh, really closely together, trucking and, and airline freight shipping. The business aspect of it is probably where we'll, we'll see the first uptake at our airport, followed by increased travelers uh, at some point in the future. And then, of course, Exhibition Park, the $27.8 million for our Exhibition Park, uh, Exolution. That building is ongoing. It's exciting to watch uh, that take place. And that will really transform that entire east end of Henderson Lake. Again, highlighting how important our agricultural and food production sector are to Lethbridge and southern Alberta. The last one that I've got as standalone investment is the irrigation investment. There was $815 million plus $10 million for maintenance for developing and growing our irrigation system. Currently, we have uh, 8,000 kilometers of canals and water pipelines in southern Alberta. Just an incredible amount. And we're going to add to that adding up to and maybe even over 200,000 more acres of irrigated land. And we already are home of 70% of all of Canada's, Canada's irrigated land. Just an incredible amount of irrigation and technology and uh, it increases our crop production by an incredible, incredible amount. So seeing us add to that, uh, we'll put further emphasis on innovation and technology for efficient use of that water. So we're not just using more water, we are using the water we have more effectively. And I'm really excited about this. Highway 3 and the irrigation investments in particular are two of the main um, requirements that we've heard from private industry for their furthered investment in this area. So we are continuing, continuing to attract private dollars to this marketplace with uh, not just french fries and potato chips, but also sugar and a number of other products. Those, those four are our topics, uh, the top picks for us down here in Southern Alberta and Lethbridge. The last three, diversing, diversifying our energy industry is more provincial. So hydrogen, the transition to hydrogen as a fuel of the future is very exciting. We, we can see that, um, as a part of our natural gas vision and strategy moving forward. So we are investing in large scale hydrogen production and carbon capture, utilization and storage. I think this is really important as we lower greenhouse gases with this initiative. And many of you may have seen the article earlier this week on Ballard Industries, that that hydrogen as a fuel is becoming more and more a reality and not just a future dream. So, we are really excited about this market. The Hydrogen Council of Canada estimates that by 2050, the global hydrogen sector could generate two and a half trillion dollars per year. And, and with that, obviously quite a number of, of jobs and quite likely a transition away from oil and gas dependency to other fuels. The second line item there is small modular nuclear reactors of which uh, I'm very excited about because we've had a lot of advocacy from two members here in Lethbridge who are retired nuclear engineers. Cosmos Vostunis and Dwayne Pendergast, both are part of our community. They have worked in the nuclear field for many years and they really brought this to my attention and helped me bring that to the forefront for Alberta as a way, again, for our oil and gas industry to uh, switch away from burning dirty natural gas in their requirement for heat and energy to heat the oil to pump it through pipelines to utilizing small modular reactors to do that heat generation. That has several positive results. The most important is again reducing our greenhouse gas emissions almost overnight 
um, because most of the production greenhouse gas emissions come from burning that dirty natural gas, which they would stop in the ability to generate this heat from small modular reactors. The second benefit is that one of the byproducts of these reactors is hydrogen, which can be, again, flowing into that transition from oil and gas to hydrogen. And, and just exciting uh, developments. The projection on some of these actually being in place are as close as 2026, so a mere five years away, where once this kind of technology was looked at at 20 and 30 and 50 years down the road, it's really exciting that we're now talking in less than a decade, half a decade, and, and possibly even sooner. One of the things that I learned through my study of this topic is that Canada is one of six nations in the world with the technology to do this, um, which was mind-blowing to me. It's not just the United States and the United Kingdom, it's Canada. We are one of the global leaders on nuclear technology. And one of the reasons uh, is we have an incredible safety record as well. Uh, one of the concerns I've heard is what happens if a nuclear reactor was to melt down like in Russia, Chernobyl or, or in Japan that we saw uh, quite a number of years ago. Canada's technology doesn't use that same base technology. It's a very different technology where if there's a malfunction or a heating of the core, it automatically shuts down so that they can't have that kind of reaction. And it's just really exciting to see that Canada is one of the global leaders in this kind of technology. The last one is wind energy. Obviously in Southern Alberta, we know all about the wind and, uh, and realize those impacts on us daily that has been captured. Uh, according to the Canadian Wind Energy Association, Alberta now ranks third in Canada with installed wind energy capacity of 1,685 megawatts. So obviously that wind generation is concentrated in the southern part of our province. And, and then we have the challenge of transmission lines. But again, this kind of uh, diversity in our energy production, as well as solar, that's not on there, but I might add that solar is also seeing a major increase in investment by private investment investors around the world into Southern Alberta. And a benefit of solar is that can be placed right at the place where you need it most on your factory or your building and, and that kind of thing. So again, I'm very excited about this kind of diversity uh, not just into our whole economy, but particularly for our ener energy industry, so we can be pursuing things that stabilize our economy away from the, the cyclical nature of oil and gas. Annalise, we'll change topics and jump to the next slide, please. <clears throat> so this is a bit of an abrupt change, sorry, this is probably my uh, uh, newness to this and, and how the topics flow, but we're going to talk a little bit about COVID numbers. And the reason I have this graph here, uh, I'll take a little bit of time and pause, is that uh, initially when COVID began last March, many of you will remember, we didn't know what we were facing. There's great concerns about the impact on all of us as Albertans. How would this spread? How does it go through? The, what numbers are we going to see? How do we predict that? And we've come a long way. We've learned a lot on uh, over the, the last 12 months. And while the COVID case numbers can, can be uh, more of an attraction because they're larger numbers, I believe that to, as of today or a couple days ago in the province, we just crested 20,000 active cases. The reason I didn't wanna focus on that is again, over time as we've seen vaccines be introduced this year, we are starting to see a decoupling of the active case numbers and our hospitalization rate, and then secondarily our ICU numbers, which is what's shown here in the screen. And really, the government of Alberta is um, has the responsibility to protect public health and protect and manage our public health care system. So while active case numbers do tell a part of the story and are important, particularly early on, uh, they set an indicator because there's a very stable ratio between the active case numbers and how many ended up in hospital, hospital and then how many ended up in ICU. 
uh, at which for most of last year we saw for every thousand cases roughly 30 people would end up in hospital and of that uh, three or four would end up in ICU and one or two would die. That was fairly stable for most of last year. As we introduced vaccines this year and as we had what uh, is termed natural immunity for those who had COVID and recovered, we start to see that decoupling. So now the number of people active cases does not necessarily mean a static and constant number going to hospitals, ICU, and then unfortunately dying. And, and that's why I, want, I chose to focus on the ICU numbers. The large blue on the right-hand side of that pie graph, 145, is all of Alberta. Uh, the lighter blue number in the top left-hand corner is our south zone, uh, 11 ICU uh, members. Uh, Lethbridge Hospital, to my understanding, has 14 ICU beds, nine which have been allocated to COVID, and five which have been allocated to other intensive care requirements. The other two uh, ICU beds are in Medicine Hat. So you can see we're pretty maxed on that, and that's where it has impact on other care. And that's why I think that's an important slide to show. Next slide, please, Annalise. So this shows COVID numbers and vaccines immunization uh, data as of a couple of days ago, April 27th. And thank you, Annalise. So as of that time, <clears throat> we had administered 1.478 million doses of COVID vaccine throughout Alberta. This means that 26.7% of the population has received at least one dose, which is just partial. And we do want to see everybody get their second dose and 6.3% of the population being fully immunized. That's why it's so important to see that, that uh, vaccine rate and those COVID numbers to know where we're going with that because it has impact on the overall case numbers and it has an, over, uh, an impact on our hospitalizations and the ICUs and deaths. And we, we really want to see that continue as we move forward through this summer. The projections are by the end of June, we should have the vaccines available to get everybody in Canada vaccinated at least once and many, many more vaccinated for a second time. And this is these are positive numbers as we see that. Last slide, please, Annalise. All of that to say on COVID numbers and vaccines is is where how we're doing here in Lethbridge and area. If you'll see the chart there, the percent of individuals with one dose, if you go all the way down to the bottom, the south zone of which we are part, we're about 28% of all individuals in Lethbridge and area having received one dose. That's second only in, in the entire province. And then on the right-hand side, the individuals that are fully immunized, we're leading the province at 7.8%. <clears throat> A lot of this uh, is because of our population uh, mix. Um, we have many seniors as a retirement community. We have uh, a great number of incredible healthcare workers and we have a significant population of First Nations individuals, all of which were high priority to receive vaccines uh, very early on. And that priority list was based on number one priority was though were those who were most at risk for severe uh, outcomes to uh, catching COVID or death. The second was healthcare workers and the third is those who are working in uh, highly dense uh, and populated sites, uh, as we've seen this week with uh, meat packing facilities, getting those vaccinations. And I hope to see teachers added to that list very, very shortly because of, of their, um, their work centers being amongst many, many people in a smaller area. So very pleased that, that Lethbridge and area is doing so well on that vaccination um, rollout. And one other thing, bit of good news is that easing of restrictions on care homes and senior living facility, because we were able to vaccinate so many of them, uh, we've heard from many, many residents here in Lethbridge that they wanted to be able to see more family. Uh, at their time of life, family is an incredible, incredibly important source of encouragement and a big part of their lives. So because we have that safety achieved for so many of them, we've seen that increased number of, um, sorry, I'm just looking for my, my notes on that. I, I can't find them right now, but we're just seeing that increased number 
uh, visitors from two to four for in, internal and inside visiting. And then externally, we've seen that number go from five to 10, also a little bit more achievable as we have nice weather coming around now instead of just the the cold and wind that we have experienced it even as uh, up until last week. So uh, with, with all of that, I think there's some very positive news as we continue to roll out. Uh, I do think that we're, we're close to the end, but we still need to be aware of, of, of social distancing, hand washing, wearing masks, being aware of others, um, and making sure that we are doing what we can to protect not only our family and loved ones, but other people in our community. With that, Annalise, I think I have come through my notes. I, I hope I've caught everything and I hope I made sense to those listening. Um, a lot of information there. Happy to answer some questions and I will pass the, the mic back to you. Wonderful. Thank you, Nathan, for that presentation. Um, we have, as we assumed, a lot of questions. Um, so I will jump right in. Our first question comes from Laurie Schultz. Um, the infection rate, IR, in brackets, is 9.9%. I'm delaying hiring a plumber and appliance repair as it isn't safe to have anybody in my home at 9.9% IR. The strategy to keep businesses open has backfired. Is the UCP's lack of reasonable health measures taking this reality into account? when trying to help businesses survive and recover post-pandemic? Yeah, great question. Thank you for that. <clears throat> yeah, that infection rate is, is, very, is very critical, and, and this has been the challenge all along. And I probably should have mentioned it one, in one of our uh, issues facing Alberta coming out of the pandemic and that recovery, is how do we, how do we manage businesses and manage this infection rate one of the greatest challenges that I believe we faced is that we have seen most infections and infections uh, transmission and the spread happen at private social functions and not at businesses or places of work in general. That's not every place, but um, I think there's a general understanding that transmission happens most where you have a large concentration of people in a smaller area and many, many businesses operate with only one or two people in, in a smaller space. So that has really been minimized. We haven't seen the transmission happen as much there. And it, it is a challenge to any government to how do you restrict people to what they do in their private and personal space uh, as opposed to business space. So we have seen some of the economic uh, plan and recovery for small and medium businesses. Uh, I believe it is now at about $30,000 to help them as well as deferred all WCB costs over the past year and for the next year and as well as some other utility rates. But that has been a challenge um, there. I don't believe there's any government that can fully replace the income that a business can generate on their own uh, with with any type of subsidy. It's, it's partial uh, at best. So that is how do we find a path forward that allows businesses to open and begin to generate that income while still maintaining safety? And, uh, and, and that is a, a grave concern that we continue to try to address and adjust and, um, and seek a better answer to. Thank you. Our next question comes from Timothy from the Lethbridge Herald. When faced with such numbers, you have two choices, make cuts or raise revenues. You can only cut so much before impacting vital services. When will the UCP start seriously considering a PST? And then as a follow-up, saying a referendum is needed is facetious. There has been no referendums on other cuts and measures taken by the government. Someone needs to take the political hit for the greater good of Alberta. Really good point, Timothy. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, I've heard lots of calls for a provincial sales tax, and uh, I think we are uh, we're facing a crossroads as a province that we will have to address that head on. You're right. I believe that there will be um, some referendum questions this fall at the municipal elections. I don't have the list of what those questions all are. So we will address that uh, through cabinet at, at, as we get closer to 
to that, the, the public will be made aware. But what I have heard from you and from others in Lethbridge that I'm taking back is I believe that we are facing a need to look at our entire tax uh, regime, uh, including a provincial sales tax and seeing how how does that get adjusted into the mix. I don't believe as that it's as simple as just adding that tax. I believe we need to consider uh, the federal carbon tax as a part of that mix. I believe that we need to look at how taxation has impacted our most vulnerable, our seniors and those on fixed incomes. And, and that's why I have taken this message and what I believe is we need to do a full tax review for the whole uh, of the spectrum and not just one piece of it in the provincial sales tax. I think you've acknowledged that it's a very contentious issue and there are those who support it and those who oppose it. So I think that's why I believe that the best path forward is to review the entire taxation um, regime so that it can be a component and developed in recognition of some of these other layers of taxation that we face. And hopefully that answers your question, Timothy. Our next question comes from Davey Wiggers. With COVID spending setting economic records, what are the UCP's plans to address the, de the debt and deficit? How do economic projections of Alberta lead, leading the nation in post-pandemic government affect government's policy? Okay, thank you for that. I appreciate that question. So. Uh, it, it is an incredible challenge, as we saw in our earlier slides, the, the debt and deficit. And uh, where there are incredible tensions between how do you address that, there is a general desire to see Alberta governments uh, move towards balanced budgets. In the middle of the pandemic is not uh, the time to do so as we need those services uh, and many of those services, like health, we need them even more. So our best plan forward, in, in my uh, opinion, is that we, we look to that economic recovery. And I think that's why I favored very strategic economic development and growth and diversity. I'm very pleased with the, the investment into our agricultural sector down here in Lethbridge and seeing all those pieces play uh, roles together from research at the university and college, uh, to production with irrigation, to transportation with highway investment and our airport, and the exhibition to highlight the need for that and attract further business and private investment in showcasing our abilities. And as we see that recovering uh, a balanced spending and a balanced approach moving forward, one of the strategies that we saw in, in that uh, direction is that some of our budgets we pulled outlier years in our budget we pulled the same funding but we pulled it earlier so that while those monies are invested this year uh, we haven't over a three-year period we haven't uh, really allocated excessive increase in dollars and we've allowed for the the benefits of that build and construction and development over the next two years to sort of balance out those lesser dollars in the outlier years as a strategy and then for recovery uh, I'm really thrilled that it does look like Alberta will lead the country and in my belief that Lethbridge will also lead Alberta in economic growth in the years ahead and that economic recovery. Uh, but it does need to be noted that we are also starting from the back. We saw the greatest um, challenge to our economy with a drop in revenues, so we have the greatest to, to catch up. But I am hopeful that we will lead uh, the province, or sorry, the country as a province, and uh, so, some bright spots in in terms of our film and tech industry, as well as some diversity in our energy industry that we talked about earlier, and of course our food and agricultural produ production has been very very stable and growing, in, in the past couple of years. Excellent, thank you. Just a reminder for everybody, um, I'm only entertaining one of your questions and only will ask your second question at the end if we have time. I'm also not going to read out your comments. Um, there seems to be a lot of comments on uh, the nuclear element, but there is a question by Beth Mundell. Uh, so I'll read the question, but I won't be reading all the comments on the whole nuclear or on any of them. Uh, small modular reactions. 
have the same problem as any size nuclear reactor. How to dispose of the, and then in, in quotations, heavy water created and how to dispose of the nuclear waste at the end of its life. And I see mm -hmm. that Cosmos is on here and he's answered some of these, uh, but I think it, the question was posed to you, so I'll leave it to you too. Um. <laughs> there we go. Hopefully I've, I've learned enough from Cosmos to answer that question, but it is challenging. He is more of an expert than I am. But, yeah, and um, he, is, he is on the chat and he has answered some of this, but yeah, go excellent. ahead. So, so thank you, Bev. Very good questions. Um, and some of that tech, technical answer is beyond my, my full understanding, but that is a challenge. From the first part, from what I understand is that as a nuclear reactor, I think it has a general lifespan of about 20 years. Over that 20 years, it actually only uses about 3% of the nuclear core before it's depleted below the point of, of use, at which point it can be taken out and recharged. So we're only talking about a very, very small portion of that um, reactive material needing to be uh, recovered and restored. Uh, there are a number of different um, uh, ideas that have been put forward to to utilize or to protecting and salvaging that waste, uh, whether it's uh, buried in, in bunkers, concrete line, all that. And I do appreciate the concern about what if it leaches or breaks through those defenses. Um, and I, I don't have the technical ability to answer all of those questions, but I do want you to uh, to acknowledge you that they are part of the, that conversation from the the training and research I've taken with the Canadian Nuclear uh, Research Institute. Uh, it's one of the constant themes of discussion. And uh, and there there is a weighing of the benefit of green energy for 20 years and the, the, um, the detraction from that is what do we do with this heavy water and this nuclear waste. I appreciate that's probably not a full answer for you, Bev, but uh, I will try to get some more details on that part of it as I move forward. Okay, and um, our next question comes from um, Mike McGuire, and I'm going to combine that with somebody else's question. Um, what is your opinion on coal mining in the Rockies? What efforts are, there, are you taking to keep our water supply safe? And I'm going to combine that with this question. Um, further me metallurgic coal exploration will inevitably result from contamination downstream. Uh, won't this hurt our reliance on irrigation as well as carrying a heavy economic burden in the future? Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to combine those questions. Thanks, Annalise. Yeah, thank you for those questions. Yeah, that is, uh, that is a great concern. So I, I'll just take a, a step back uh, because it, it is a, a complex issue in the sense that... Um, Mines proposed for the Crow's Nest Pass area that have been in in development for six years or so um, have particularly Grassy Mountain is now in the purview and, and governance of not just the Alberta Energy Regulator but the federal energy regulator and before the federal Minister of Environment. So the federal government will make the final decision on whether those those coal mines in that area, particularly Grassy Mountain, move forward. And and some of those mines are also on Category 4 lands where that development is uh, allowable under, under the current coal policy. So some of the ability to speak to stopping that development, those windows have passed to, to many degrees. And there is no vote in the Alberta legislature on those passing of coal mines. And, and I'm just saying that as a context. So where I have made my position clear is I too am very concerned about the water and water resources for Lethbridge. And I've publicly stated and clearly stated that I cannot sacrifice Lethbridge and areas prominent and primary uh, resource, which is food and food production, agriculture based for uh, another industry in another area. This is of, of constant concern. And I bring forward to the Minister of Ener Energy and the Ministry of Environment, 
while uh, I, I do seek um, technologies that could help mitigate that, the fact is that that mining does use water and mining does uh, will result in in contaminants in that water. So I'm very concerned and speaking for the protection of those resources and and wanting to make sure that we have a not just a coal policy, but uh, water and land reclamation and land use policies that also uh, balance the the responsible development of of metallurgical coal with other resources and developments. So I've I've written articles about that. I've I've taken letters and debate to both of those ministers on a number of occasions. I will make um, make sure that those in Lethbridge and area when the full consultation on the coal policy comes forward. Everybody in Lethbridge will, will have that opportunity to share their thoughts and they will be able to bring forward their concerns about water and land use to that. While it is a, um, a panel set to discuss the coal policy specifically, impacts to water can be made and, and heard in that conversation and should be raised appropriately at that time. And hopefully, thank you, Annalise, and thank them for those questions. Okay, our next question comes from uh, Henny Mundo. With apparently all water in southern Alberta allocated by licenses, where is the water from the 200,000 acres to come from? Yeah, a very good question. And this is uh, why I did allude to it a little bit at the time uh, about technology and the efficiency of use of water. Much of that irrigation water, from my understanding and my research, once it's been applied to the land, also runs off and goes back into catchment basins and, and back into ultimately into rivers. So if we're going to increase the number of acres provided, we also have to increase the efficiency of the water put on there. Uh, I've done some research and spent some time with some of our local irrigation um, experts in the private industry and the efforts that they're going to uh, to provide their clients with technologies that really reduce the amount of water used in the first place. It's more uh, targeted, less overland flood irrigation, of which there is still some, and, and to make sure that we use what we have as effectively as possible. I've also spent some time with um, the Old Man uh, Watershed Council and, and Sh Shannon, uh, sorry, her last name escapes me right now. Frank. Shannon Frank is an incredible resource and an incredible advocate for helping me understand that it's not just the volume of water, it's also when that water is taken as, as rivers would ha have high and low peak seasons. So that's where off-stream and on-stream um, water storage is, is becoming even more essential whether it's private dugouts or whether it's larger reservoirs, that kind of thing. And that water management has to be a, a major topic. So uh, you are absolutely right that we cannot allocate any further water there. We have to capture any water that has been underutilized or increase our technology. And, and many of our providers think that there's a huge amount of efficiency to be captured there and something that we have to be extremely aware of as well. Thanks for that great question. Okay, Maria, I believe that um, the question has already been answered regarding, um, um, I'll read it out anyway, but what have you said, this is Maria Fitzpatrick, what have you said to your government to stop the coal mining on the eastern slopes to protect our water supply? I think <laughs> you've answered that in the previous section. But this next part, well, I'm not, yeah, there's another part. Also impacting mm -hmm. irrigation given the chance changes to water licenses. Right, so I will just, uh, I think Maria Fitzpatrick makes an important distinction between the potential coal mines in the Crow's Nest Pass on category four and the Eastern Slopes, which is category two. So I again have, have spoken um, very loudly to the Minister of Energy and the Minister of Environment that Lethbridge residents by and large uh, do not support open pit coal mining on the Eastern Slopes 
and we cannot sacrifice our primary industry of agriculture and food production in Lethbridge for industry other places. That has to be balanced and part of the strategic diversity of the province in Lethbridge and area is agriculture and we can't see that put to risk. Uh, so that has been my public uh, presentation on that part. Um, and then again with the water use, Annalise, can you just ask that second part again? Yeah, absolutely. Um, also impacting irrigation given the changes to water licenses. Right. So water licenses, as in my understanding, and I, and I may not have this perfectly clear, can be purchased on a commodities market. So if, um, I, and I believe there's different designations, there's rancher usage, there's agricultural usage, there's industry usage. So where the full volume does not change, individual licensees may sell portions or whole parts of their individual license. And I believe that's actively traded. So, um, but I do not believe that if water is allocated for agriculture, it can be changed to industrial or, or vice versa. I think those allocations stay fixed, where if one industrial user has not been using their water license or a portion thereof, they can sell part or whole of it to another industrial user, but they cannot sell it outside of that category. That may be imperfect. If I've got that wrong, I apologize. I, uh, if any of my staff is listening, we will look into that a little bit more closely. But I believe those are the, the rules on allocation and licenses within that. Okay. Our next question comes from Trevor Page. Agriculture is the mainstay of the economy in southern Alberta, yet it is the major contributor to greenhouse gas emissions and climate change. Do you believe this is a serious issue? And if so, what should we be doing in Lethbridge East to reduce our carbon footprint? Really great question. Uh, yes, uh, those some of those, uh, I mean, we're in Feedlot Alley, and I think we all recognize that the, they are a major contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, the challenge there, it's it's not like an industry where you can put a filter on it or something like that, as these are animals walking around. But yes, I believe it is a, a serious um, issue that we need to try to address. I think that's why I'm very interested in the carbon capture um, proposals that have been up north. I, I know they have a primary focus on the energy sector up north to capture that carbon there, but I am interested into how we can utilize some of that technology down here in the south zone in that agricultural uh, variety. I know many farmers have um, have been investigating and researching crops. Different crops have different carbon capture capabilities um, and to, to make sure that we maximize that. And then here in Lethbridge East, as we were the, an urban center, we have to be aware of, of how we we have our carbon our carbon footprint as well and i'm very excited M many of our manufacturing and industrial business partners in the north side have have done a huge amount of effort by converting their factory rooftops to solar in that uh, direct effort and i hope that that is one simple way obviously we've got to do more and i am very hopeful that technology will become more and more available for more and more of us to to take those steps in an important way. Um, and, and one of the things that I'm curious about is is our waste. I mean, at the other end, particularly plastic waste uh, in our landfills and that kind of thing. How do we do a better job of that? Um, and, and maybe if we can reduce our, our plastic packaging and its production at the front end, um, we can see that greenhouse gas emission reduction as well. So just a couple of efforts more to do and more to research and learn on, but a great question. Excellent. Our next question comes from David Major. Funds from the sale of non-renewable resources should not be used for, to, for general revenue. It should be preserved in the Heritage Trust Fund. Revenue to meet government expenses should come from taxes. Would you agree that if we had stuck with the original plan as Norway has, 
and then in brackets, Peter Lougheed's Heritage Trust Fund, that the current budget crisis would not exist? Really good questions. Um, I don't know that I can definitively answer that one way or another, but I believe that if governments had uh, utilized that fund more effectively over the past 40 or 50 years, yes, we would probably be in a much better situation. Uh, the challenges the challenges are obviously um, that we have to replace that $7 billion a year in income with other things. Taxes is one. Uh, from my understanding and research, for every 1% provincial tax, uh, about a billion dollars is generated. So that would be about a 7% tax to make up the fullness thereof. And, and I don't know if that's a perfect solution. I, I think uh, I would I would say that it would take a little bit of both, right? Reduce spending and increase taxation. You have to do a little bit of both. I don't think there's uh, any such thing as a one perfect solution to any problem. And I, I, I believe I said earlier that I do think that we need to look at our entire taxation uh, protocols and the entire system to see how we can integrate that in the most effective way. Being particularly careful for those who are on fixed incomes, uh, our seniors and, and, and those who have other, other uh, inhibitors to full economic growth. So I think this is a discussion that Alberta needs to have and will have for, for years coming ahead. And uh, I just, I am hesitant to say that there's any perfect solution but yes, hindsight's 2020, and I think we all acknowledge it, that uh, there's things that we could all have done better um, in, in the past to, to have left us in a better situation today. But our, our job is to take the ball today and move forward and, and, and find solutions moving forward. But I think you've raised some, some good points there. Our next question comes from Sean Leclerc. I've heard it recently stated that of all the provinces, Alberta set to be the leader in economic recovery. Can you discuss the factors that make this statement a reality? Sure, thanks very much for the question. Um, I think there's a number of things that we did uh, to begin with, uh, and I believe our, our, our mandate in election was, was much more simple before the pandemic where we wanted to become a, a very competitive jurisdiction. And I think we all understand that there is a global market and we have some very strong competitors to the south of us, but as well as overseas. So we, we sought to try to find that, that balance of business attraction and reinvestment. And many of those initiatives began um, prior to the pandemic. With the pandemic, a lot of those things were interrupted and we've had to readjust and, and pivot. And now we've had to add countercyclical spending to the government's books, uh, which has pros and cons. Pros in, in that we can strategically invest into much needed infrastructure to further attract private business, which I think I described earlier here in the South. But overall, we'll also see that up North as we reclaim abandoned oil wells, as we um, convert many of those abandoned oil wells to geothermal energy um, and very greenhouse gas friendly. Uh, we've we've sought to attract much more tech tech business and uh, TV and film uh, business to Alberta. I think this year we've seen the most growth in that sector ever. Uh, I think it's something around two hundred million dollars. Please don't quote me on that. Um, a lot of numbers in my head today, but I believe uh, the previous year was something like twenty million twenty million dollars new investment in a year, and we're something like ten times that, just roughly in the TV and film uh, sector to attract that business and growth. And interestingly enough, the the intention is more on TV series than on film. Film are major productions. They have a very short uh, film span, typically three to five months in a location, and then they go somewhere else. Whereas TV, they come, they set up production, and they're here year over year, so they have a much more invest, uh, much larger investment overall into the segment. It's set designers, food and clothing, accommodations, um, and production studios, that kind of thing. 
And and the other part of that would also be our gaming industry. One of the things I've learned in the past two years is that our Lethbridge College in virtual reality is a global leader in their technology there and in that course and training. It's one of the first in all of North America to teach that virtual reality uh, for, for added technology to home design, building design, real estate, and a number of other factors, as well as to actual gaming. And I am hopeful that we continue continue to attract those kind of gaming headquarters here to not just Alberta, but Southern southern Alberta in Lethbridge area to set up shop and, and get our youth to work in a, a budding and, and burgeoning new industry. So all of those things lead lead to our strengths in Alberta, where we have one of the youngest populations in Canada. We have a very educated population in Canada. We're blessed in Lethbridge to have a university and college that add to that. And as they... Um, as they come to our university and college from sometimes not just across the country, but around the globe, the intent is to attract them to stay here in business. And I think as we see that, those are the factors that lead us to uh, that economic growth that we're hoping for and and having that positive uh, population growth, positive economic and secondary economic growth. But again, one of the caveats is uh, we can see great growth, but we have to remember that we're starting from the back of the pack. So we we need that growth to catch up and again, lead the country overall in, in total jobs. And I think we've got some bright spots in a number of in- industries to help us to do that. Okay, our last question of the day comes from Barb Phillips. How are you advocating for the Lethbridge Downtown Business Corps, the businesses and the owners who have a, have who have or faced much adversity from the pandemic as well as the houseless and drug crisis in part caused by the closing of Arches SCS and wraparound services? Yeah, no, great questions. Thank you for that. So it began with having a mobile SCS to still make sure that we have that service there. But I have advocated strongly for the additional services in recovery. So we've seen a huge investment in Southern Alberta um, of, I believe, $5 million in Lethbridge and $5 million uh, just east to us in standoff for those treatment and recovery beds. We have a uh, something like a 40-bed unit of extended supportive housing. Uh, that project is proceeding in North Lethbridge. We have a 64-bed um, senior and continuing care uh, independent living uh, f- for some of that supportive living, low-income housing initiative being brought to South Lethbridge. Uh, we are, we're trying to add those wraparound services where not only can we, we reach the, those who are caught in, in mental health and addictions uh, right away out of the gate with additional beds uh, at their needs and services, the SCS included, but then we want to take them to recovery and, and treatment. And we've we've allocated a lot of money. Lethbridge is one of the communities that per capita, we receive more funding for those wraparound and supportive services than anywhere else in the province. And we want to continue to see that. So we have a continuum of care from, from where they're caught in addiction to uh, being able to safely um, utilize their their addiction, but find the resources to get them to treatment and care. And there are so many incredible partners in, in Lethbridge that work with that. Um, the Canadian Mental Health uh, Agency, Lethbridge Family Services, Lethbridge um, Children's Service. There's just so many of those partners uh, to, try to create a, a comprehensive care to capture all of them. And then for the businesses downtown, this is where we, I think we talked at the beginning of it, uh, a little bit of the balance between restrictions that um, manage outbreaks and the rise in numbers. Thankfully in Lethbridge, we've seen those numbers coming down for the past week or two, uh, but allow each of those independent businesses open in a safe way uh, where they, they're protecting uh, their clients, their customers, their staff, but also uh, being open for business so they can provide those supports that are that are needed and add to that economic development. But um, another great question. Uh, thank you very much, Annalise. Excellent. So um, this wraps up our session. We have a lot of thank yous in the queue. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your informative presentation from Violet Mi-Mikmah, um from Beth Mandel, from Laurie Schultz. Um, before we wrap up, uh, Nathan, do you have a take-home message for our viewers? 
Sure. I, I would just like to thank everybody for their, their respectful questions. These are some really challenging times and some challenging issues. Um, one of the things I love about Lethbridge is its diversity in so many ways. Uh, we, have, we have a very broad spectrum of population uh, and everybody has a unique and independent view to try to manage to respectfully hear from all of those different views in a comprehensive way is a challenge. And I acknowledge that um, humbly that sometimes I do it better than others, but I do try. And I really enjoyed uh, these challenging questions to try to represent them well, to try to give them the, the information and respect that they deserve. I am excited about Lethbridge's future immediately in this summer looking ahead. I am thrilled that Lethbridge is a leader in the province in terms of vaccinations. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased that our numbers are going counter trend and they're going down because people have taken it upon themselves to be very careful with that. I am excited about the diversity of our economy and our business owners here and across Southern Alberta in, in what they will do for our recovery and uh, just a quick mention of our construction industry as well, how well they have added to um, our economic recovery and all of our public health health staff down here from our nurses and our public health uh, nurses and people, our doctors, they have just done a tremendous job of, of caring for our citizens. And I think we're gonna have better days ahead. I, I know it's hard. Please hang on there. I think we're, we're very, very close to having a terrific summer here in southern Alberta. I look forward to good good weather, um, easing of restrictions so that we can all get back to the things we love and enjoy. Uh, I'm a hugger, so I look forward to being able to hug many of you when I see you next in a safe and COVID-friendly way. And uh, again, I just very much appreciate the this conversation today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you for your time here at SECPA. Um, before we wrap up the session, please join us next week, Thursday, uh, with uh, Jackie Fenske, uh, who is the acting leader of the Alberta Party, the need for more voices in public square for Alberta. And with that, we hope to see you next week. Have a good week, everybody.